This is Transistor.fm. Hey, welcome to Product People. My name is Justin Jackson, and it's time for part two of my interview with David Hannemeyer Hansen of 37 Signals. In our last episode, we talked about how David started working as a contractor for 37 Signals, making only $15 an hour. But he eventually worked his way up and became an owner in the company, along with Jason Freed. In this episode, we talk about how he and Jason work together on a daily basis, and we go behind the scenes on their decision to rebuild Basecamp. We also talk about how he got into driving race cars, a mere two years after he got his license. Stay tuned for that and more, coming up. Before we get going with the show, let me tell you about a few of my favorite sponsors. Are you creating an application that needs a chart or dashboard? Fusion Charts is a JavaScript charting solution trusted by over 450,000 developers around the world. They have tons of interactive and animated charts with advanced features like tooltips, drill downs, chart export, and zoom. Their charts also work across PCs, Macs, iPads, iPhones, and Android devices. You can download a free trial at FusionCharts.com. And Sprintly is perfect software for teams of three or more people. It's the easiest way for managers and developers to track the software development process. You and your team can try Sprintly for free. Go to www.sprint.ly. Once you sign up for a billing plan, use my coupon code PRODUCTPEOPLETV2013 to get 10% off. You know, when I talked to Jason... I asked him this question about how he knew that he could trust you. And so I'm going to ask you the same thing because you're a fairly, like, if anyone meets you and just even hearing about your past and starting all this, you know, these magazines and stuff, you're a fairly independent person. What, what made you feel like you could trust Jason and that you even wanted to partner up with him? Like, why bother partnering up? Well, two things. So first of all, I knew the third service singles had a history. By the time that I got involved with Jason, I mean, the company already had two years under its belt. It had a repertoire of um, launched sites that they had done for clients. I knew there was something real there. And I knew enough about Jason and his sensibilities and so forth to know that there would be a connection, or at least suspect that there would be a connection. And then we just we just chatted on email. and. Um, sort of got into uh, enough of a level of, of trust. And, and also, what was I really risking? I mean, he was asking me to do work. I was asking him to pay me $15 an hour. I mean, you don't need a whole lot of trust for that transaction to happen. Yeah. Um, and then trust builds. You just, we kept making transactions, which sounds so clinical, but <laughs> that's what it was. We, I kept creating work. He kept paying invoices. Boom. Trust. I think it took six months, maybe even more, before I met Jason for the first time. Actually, I think it took six months before I talked to him on the phone for the first time. Uh, and I think it took maybe a year or two before I visited the 37 Sequels office in, um, in Chicago. But by then, we already had complete trust established. I mean, we knew we cared about the same things. We knew that we, we shared the same values. 
So it really wasn't that hard. Yeah. Well, maybe let's talk about how this partnership looks in action. Because, um, again, last time I chatted with Jason, we talked about uh, launching the new base camp. And uh, uh, I, I think he said you originally were against the idea of, of rebuilding base camp, um, largely because that's usually a bad thing if someone wants to rebuild an app. Uh, the traditional wisdom is that you shouldn't. Uh, is that true that you were kind of originally against the... Well, what I was, I was skeptical. And I was skeptical that um, what we were going to do was just rebuild the same thing. I wanted that if, if we were going to remake Basecamp, we should make something else. I mean, Basecamp Classic already exists. Just tearing all that down and building exactly the same thing back up again, that didn't make any sense to me at all. And, and certainly I'm familiar with the saying that, uh, that all rewrites end up sort of bankrupting companies or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing we needed to establish. We needed to establish that we were building something else, that we were much wiser now, that we were going to build a different kind of product. And, uh, and we set up to, to basically spike that up. So Jason had a bunch of design ideas, and, and we talked a bunch about the concept of how this was going to be different. And um, I had a lot of build-up thoughts about how we could... Um, we could tackle this in a different way, especially as it uh, revolves around the speed of the application. Um, I wanted this to be just ludicrously fast. Mm-hmm. And um, sort of this symbiosis there informed a lot of things back and forth. Jason wanted a much cleaner, simpler design, uh, which played in incredibly well with the uh, thoughts and ideas that I had about um, sharing caches and, and other approaches to making this thing really fast. But uh, uh, it also goes just that is the the core of of our um, working relationship. I think I am generally the more cautious, the more which sounds funny, but in many ways the more conservative when it comes to bi- the business aspect of things. Yeah, and Jason is the more um, sort of optimistic, bullish. Let's tear stuff down and build something new. Let's uh, uh, let's push the envelope on a lot of these things and I think the or I'd like to think at least that the magic happens sort of in the middle mm-hmm. that um, that by us pulling in each opposite direction we we end up with a, with a great middle ground where we're respectful both of the business that we have built and we're able to uh, innovate and, and revitalize the business yeah yeah and I think I remember seeing you guys did a like a commit history video for Basecamp. Yep. And I noticed like at the beginning, it was like almost all you, like you had tons and tons of, uh, you know, you're committing lots of code. Is that usually how new projects start is you kind of bang out your, the initial framework or, um, and then you get other team members involved, you know, after it's kind of started or what, what's the process? Yeah, that's, that's um, for products, at least for the bulk of the major products that we've done, that has been the pattern. Not so much just because it's me banging it out, but I think the magic of most new products are that you just you're still exploring an unknown domain, uh, and while you're still exploring an unknown domain, it does it's not really helpful to have ten cooks in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. You need you need just one person or very few people just figuring out how should this feel, how should this be, what should the architecture of this be, and 
I even, I fucking hate the word architect, right? I, I hate the idea <laughs> that somebody should just sit down and imagine how things should be. And then they prescribe this in some sort of spec and then the minions go off and implement that, right? Yeah. Uh, I can't stand that notion. So the only way that I can impose a sense of architecture is actually to build it and <laughs> to build it myself. Um, so that's what I did with, uh, with BCX. I, I, I built the initial um, spike of it. Um, certainly didn't have all the features and, and everything that we wanted, but it had the f- sort of framework of work. But it wasn't just a framework because that doesn't work either. I mean, that's, that's the same as architecting. Just sit down and make something reusable that somebody else is then going to go ahead and, and reuse. It's going to be crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only way to arrive at good architectural underpinnings is actual to build real stuff. So that's what I did with BCX. I think for the first three months of that project, um, I was working on it alone. Then we involved Sam to work on the JavaScript for the visual presentation. We have this sort of stacker is what it's called, which mm-hmm. is this layered UI approach. And, um, and he did a great job on that. And then I think we were like maybe four or more months into it. And then we slowly rammed up. And then I think the whole project took maybe nine months. And then by the end of the nine months, we had the entire company banging away at it because now it was clear which direction it was going to go. I was comfortable with the domain. I had, a, I had an architecture in place for making this thing screaming fast that, that others could just dive in and, and work with. And, and then we could just involve everybody. And, and it was very easy to parallelize. Um, but things are not easy to parallelize when you don't know what you want or mm-hmm. how you're going to do it. In, in fact, that often ends up just being more work and worse work when, uh, when you have everybody just running around not knowing what to do and where to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I love that picture of you guys all working at the, that big long table at uh, 37 Signals. Uh, it looked like in the final days there's a bunch of people on site just all hammering away on Basecamp. Yeah, we did. Um, we very very rarely do this, but also we very rarely launch new major projects or products at the size of Basecamp. But we had this crunch. I think it was maybe a crunch week where we got everybody in, and um, just as much to celebrate the launch as it was to to finish it up. But uh, that was a good time. Yeah. But that was really just. I mean, that was dotting the eyes. The I, bulk of the work is done as a remote team remotely. Yeah, yeah. And what are you working on right now? Is there, what's the, you know, you're, you've just finished off the book. What, what are you kind of working on now? Um, we have a new product idea in mind that I'm basically doing the same thing I was doing for BCX, just uh, on this new product idea. Um, just, just me as a programmer and then one designer has been helping out, just spiking things out, giving a feel for, for the domain. I'm not sure yet whether we're going to build it or not. But um, I'm just trying to figure out uh, how this should work and how it, how it could be great. And then if we decide to build it, we'll involve more people. And if we don't decide to build it, then I've spent a couple of weeks or a couple of months doing what I like to do anyway, which is to program. Yeah. So um, uh, we win either way, given the position we're currently in where, where the bills are being covered by existing products. And is that what you really like doing is, is kind of building brand new stuff? 
Um, not necessarily. I, it's not just about Greenfield for me. I get a lot of pleasure out of making things and building things to last and improving them. I mean, heck, I'm still working on Ruby and Rails a decade after I, uh, I made the first changes, and that's very satisfying to me as well. Um, I was still working. I was still working on uh, Basecamp Classic up until we got started on on BCX. I still worked on a bunch of new features for for the new version of Basecamp since we launched it. So it's not just it's not just that uh, Greenfield development is fun, although it is fun. But uh, to me, it's just uh, programming is fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, it can be it can suck, but that's usually for all sorts of other reasons, like your organization is kind of crappy or you painted yourself into a corner technically or, or something else like that. Um, most of the time, most of the programming that I do, I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I just try to bring as much value as I can to what we're doing at 37 Signals. And sometimes that's just hammering out a new feature. Sometimes that's creating a spike of a feature we have in mind and then somebody else finishes it. And then sometimes it's uh, starting a new product. It's whatever needs to get done um, is is pretty much uh, what I work on. Yeah, yeah. And um, maybe let's actually let's let's end on this. Let's talk about racing a little bit. Uh, car racing. Um, how did you get into that? And maybe just talk about what is there any lessons you've learned in racing that have applied to you building products. Sure. So I got into racing initially in 2007. Well, racing is a big word. I got into driving a race car on a track in 2007. Yeah. Um, I got, just got my driver's license two years earlier. I kind of got my driver's license pretty late living in <laughs> Copenhagen. You, um, you don't really need a car. And even if you do need a car, they're hideously expensive and Hence, I was being paid $15 an hour and plowing that into Apple equipment. It wasn't like there was disposable income available to buying a uh, very expensive car, as, as any car is in Copenhagen. Yeah. So anyway, I, um, I got my driver's license um, just because I wanted to use it actually abroad. Like I wanted to travel, and you can travel to a lot of places where getting around by car is the only option. So. Anyway, I, I got my driver's license just like shortly before moving to the U.S. And um, um, and then a friend of mine, somebody I met here in Chicago, took me to the local track that's about an hour away from Chicago and uh, and put me in a race car. And, and of course, as most people, or at least as a lot of people who get into a race car find out, it's actually dangerous amounts of fun. So, um, <laughs> you weren't I, scared? Like I've heard it, some people get really scared because it's that, way that faster. So there is certainly a percentage of the population just don't enjoy speed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't fall into that percentage. <laughs> you um, it. Yeah, I, I really did like it. So I just slowly kind of got into it. And started just going down to that track that's an hour away, just driving on weekends and so forth. And uh, it wasn't really until what is that, 2010, like three years ago, that I got into it with sort of more of a serious intent of actually going racing. Um, and by then, I had already put in a lot of hours at that local track, just honing my skills. So when I got into racing, um, I quickly found out that, A, I sort of had a lead a, at least a modicum of talent for it, and, and B, that it was really fun climbing the ladder. 
Um, and throughout the whole thing, I, ha I had this dream in mind that I wanted to go to the 24 hours of Le Mans. Um, to me, that's always been the just the greatest motor racing event in the world. And uh, I had plenty of role model in the, the Danish driver, Tom Christensen, who now won Le Mans nine times, um, way more than any other driver in the history of the Le Mans motor race in the uh, very long history of the Le Mans motor race has ever won the race. <laughs> so um, that provided the motivation to, to have that as an end goal. So by the time I got serious about racing, I just basically plotted out a path. How do I get from where I am now to being at the grid at Le Mans? And that entailed going through a number of different series and climbing up through the classes and climbing up through the cars and so forth. And I think that that part for me is certainly transferable. Um, I set out sort of once I got into something, for example, with rails, um, once I knew that there was something there, once I knew that I was having so much more fun making web applications with Ruby on Rails than I ever had with PHP or Java or any of the other tools that I've been making, I kind of set out that like other people should be part of that. They should, they should share that. So um, I took that seriously. I, I took it seriously that I wanted to basically spread the wealth of what is the wonders of the Ruby programming language to, to as many people as I possibly could. And um, I think that's, that's very similar to sort of climbing that ladder system. It's like first it's just get a few early adopters and, and you get other people involved and interested in helping building the, the framework and, and so forth. And, and then you, you roll it one step at a time from there. You get to 1.0 and, and you do a good marketing side for it and, and you do some promotion with videos and so forth. And um, that's all part of sort of that ladder. Um, and as it goes to business, it's kind of the same thing. That uh, once we knew we had something with Basecamp, um, sort of charting a path of always having some goal in mind. Oh, we want to get to this. We want to get to so and so many customers. We want to. We have this vision for the product that we want to get to. It's it's quite similar. And another final note on, on similarities. Uh, what really is pleasurable and interesting for me about programming is getting into the zone where you just feel like you're just engrossed in this logical problem that you're trying to solve um, and you lose track of time and, and other concerns. You don't have a lot of other things going on in your mind than, than just the program. And that's a rare and extremely pleasurable state of mind to be in. In fact, um, uh, there's been quite a few books, including Flow, that claim that this is where this is the state of mind where most people derive the bulk of their happiness from. Mm. Um, and I would certainly concur with that. And what I found was that uh, motor racing is um, almost like a cheat to getting into a state of flow. When you're in a race car going 200 miles an hour, you don't have a lot of time to consider all sorts of other things you're doing. Like, oh, what should we have for dinner tonight? Or what's what on Twitter? Work on exactly, what's on Twitter? <laughs> um, you just have in mind that you need to make the next corner and you need to hit your apex just right and you need to carry three more mile an hour and you need to 
not crash and die. Um, and that sort of sense of both danger and intensity just provides for uh, a very easy access to that zone. And um, I, I learned to, to like that zone so much in programming that it just feels, feels great to be able to that easily enter the zone in, uh, in another domain as well. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a good parallel, actually, because, you know, with, with race car, with race, uh, racing, sorry, car racing, you had this big vision of getting to Le Mans. That was like your overarching goal. That's where you're going. But in the car, you can't, you have to think about kind of what's right ahead of you. And uh, it's probably similar with building products. You have this big goal for where you want to get to with the product. But then there's also this idea of just, you know, getting down to the work and getting into that, that flow, like you said. Absolutely. I think that a lot of people just think that just they just need the one part. They just need that grand goal, and then they'll do whatever it takes, whether it's fun or not, to get there. And I don't think that works very well. I think the path to getting to achieving your goals, if that doesn't go through states of flow, things that you really care about, where you really intensely enjoy the activity itself, likelihood of you ever reaching that goal is slim mm-hmm. because it's just too hard to get good enough if you don't enjoy what you're doing um and if you're not good enough you're not going to get to your goals like i was not going to get to the freaking grid of lama unless i really fucking learned how to drive a race car not only safely but also fast um and i was not going to have ruben rails sort of influence and, and be a part of a lot of programmers' lives unless I really know or learn both Ruby and programming and how to put it all together and so forth. And I just, I was not going to get to that point if I didn't enjoy it. I mean, you can only do things in pursuit of a goal for so long if you don't enjoy the activity itself. Yeah, exactly. Well said. That's a good way to end the show. David, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to chat. Sure, my pleasure. You can find David on Twitter at DHH, and be sure to check out his book that's coming out, Fall 2013. I think it just went it just went to the publisher, didn't it? In two days, it's going to the publisher, two, so October 29th is actually the precise release date. October 29th, it's out, 37signals.com slash remote. Thanks again, David. Thank you. If you want to follow David on Twitter, his handle is at DHH. You can follow me on Twitter as well. I'm at Justin, or follow the show at Product People TV. Thanks again to our great sponsors, Fusion Charts. It's a great JavaScript charting solution trusted by over 450,000 developers around the world. FusionCharts.com. And Sprintly, perfect for teams of three or more people. It's the easiest way to manage the software development process. Go to www.sprint.ly. And let me share with you something that one of our listeners is working on. Follow at Topside Concepts on Twitter. Randy is working on a product that will help companies improve their service by prioritizing input from customers. It's a really neat concept. Check it out, www.topsideconcepts.com. Hey, if you like the show, I'd really appreciate it if you went into iTunes and gave us a review. It's as easy as searching for product people and giving us five stars. That really helps the show get noticed. That's it for this week. 
I'll see you next week. Thanks. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.